Okay, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Today, on this wonderful day, I want to ask that you guys open the First Corinthians, chapter one. We will finish the chapter today. So, as you turn there, I'm going to read at verse 18 to the end. Amen? We're all set? We're we're there? Alright, I'm going to read it, and then we'll get started. Let's read it. So the Word of the Lord says this. It says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world, and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that He may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by His doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, again, what a wonderful word. All your words are wonderful and good and perfect. And Lord, the nourishment that we need as your children, Father God. And again, as the scripture just said, Lord God, we cannot boast in anything of ourselves, Lord God. We are your children, Father God. We are saved. We have right standing before you. We have all those wonderful things that come in this great gift of salvation. And it's all because of you. We have nothing. We take no part in it. Except we are the recipients of it. So to you, we magnify your name. And we thank you. And we praise you for all that you do. So this morning as we're here, Father, again. Lord, help us to get out of the way. Let you be high and lifted up, Lord God. Let us see Christ. Let us see exactly what I just said. You being magnified and lifted up. We're here again to worship you. To honor you. To, Lord God, to really be reminded of who we are in you, who you are, that we can have any kind of joy that we should have restored to us if it has been lacking, Lord God, or just confirmed, Lord God, that we are truly a blessed people. 
So help us this morning as we understand your word. Be with my lips, be with all those who are going to receive. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So last week, we went over the fact that there are only two ways that mankind will respond to the message of the cross. I was going to finish last week, but I felt compelled to just park at verse 18 because there was about four weeks for three weeks or so, I think that we, a gap that we had since we did part two of 1 Corinthians. So I wanted to just go get a, a little reminder. And I just felt as I was studying that, that verse, I, I, as I was studying, I'm like, wow, it's this day of the week that I'm only in this verse still. <laughs> you know, and sometimes that happens and it's okay. So we went over the fact again that there are only two ways that mankind will respond to the message of the cross. And again, that was... It's absolutely ridiculous to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So today, we're going to get in more detail of this reality, and if we can take anything out of this message this morning, and God's at work, so I trust that He's going to allow you guys to take whatever He wants you to take, but I know that if we can take anything out of this message, it would be confidence. Confidence in the Lord, of course, but in His hand at work, especially in regards to the world's multiple hands at work with all its wisdom and religions and ideologies and all that stuff, which really just leads to nothing, right? So we ought to have confidence again in John 14, 6, in which our Lord declared that He is the way, the truth, and the life. And we embrace that this morning. We want to always be confident of that reality. Um, So then our confidence is in the simple message of the cross and the scriptures that speak to it. Amen? So again, let's look at the first two verses. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. So God is speaking concerning the unbelieving world, still in verse 19. And by him saying he will destroy, he is saying essentially that he will bring the outcome of their wisdom, their skills, and apparent cleverness to nothing. Which, all we've got to do is look back in history, and not just Western civilization, which is biblical history and all that. You can look back in anywhere you are, all the way from the east as far as to the west. God will do this, and He is shown to do that as we look at history. But this verse in verse 19 is actually taken from Isaiah 29. If you look at that context there, Israel was in a place where they were very far from God, as it seemed was most of the time, right? Israel was very far from God. And one of the reasons for their drifting was that they relied on their own wisdom, And the wisdom of the other nations rather than relying on the God who actually made them a nation, made them a people. It just just didn't make any sense. But again, there's a purpose behind this as we see uh, scripture progressing as we get to Christ. And, And again, this is just the reality. So this was a shame for the nation of Israel because they were to be a kingdom of priests, right? Who upheld taught and cling to their God, and it's a blessing to see our brother Arnell walking right now. How are we feeling, brother? Good? Amen. Okay? 
So there were to be a kingdom of priests who upheld, who taught and clinged to their God. They clinged to His message, to His words. And just like them, right, God speaks the same way to His church, you and I. Right? 1 Peter 2.9, I love this verse. He says, but you, in reference to the church, the true chosen, right? says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Now, this was to be what Israel was to be, and they failed. It says, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And don't let just be fooled by thinking of this verse in evangelistic sense alone. We are to proclaim those ex- excellencies with each other. To encourage each other, to build each other up. The unbelieving world certainly needs to see it. This is where we stand. But guess what? Brothers and sisters in the Lord need to see this, right? We need to come together and declare His goodness, His excellencies, all the things that He has done for us. We should be declaring that. So Israel, go back to Israel in that context here, didn't become a nation, again, out of their own cleverness. They were not a superpower, for around 100 years, remember, they actually were a superpower during that United Kingdom, during the kingdom time of, even, even during Saul's time, they started rising, David was a huge influence, and for about 100 years or so, they were a superpower. And it wasn't because of their own cleverness, but it was because of God who carried them along and faithfulness to Him. They were proper, uh, prosperous when they trusted And they were prosperous when they obeyed. And guess what? In in another sense, us as the church, it's no different. Now, our standing in Christ never changes. Praise God, that is awesome. But to have that rich, fulfilling life that God wants us to live, we're not going to have those blessings if we don't trust and we don't obey. It's so important. It doesn't change. So on the contrary, they were oppressed, the nation of Israel, when they disobeyed. And follow the desires of their heart based on their own understanding. So the church should not fall in the same trap of foolishness by the falsities of human wisdom. I don't even know if that's a word, but we're going to go with it. Falsities, fallacies, whatever you want to call it. Okay? So let me uh, read to you John Ocha's favorite passage. If you hear John preach, he oftentimes refers to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. I'm going to read verses 5 to 8. Again, these are little kids' Sunday school verses, but it's so important. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Again, I love these verses, and we should love these verses. Even as the church, it's very easy for us to rely on our own understanding. But it's not going to get us anywhere. And it's so good hearing that from John Oates because many of you guys know he's a very, very smart guy. Oftentimes when we're in our, our meetings, our board meetings, right, and we're sitting there talking and we're all saying, what's, it, what's going to that head, your, that head of yours, sir? You know? But again, it's not about how smart you are. It's about leaning not on your own understanding but leaning on God and what He has said. God has called us to be wise and it has nothing to do with intellect, okay? So we need to, it's just so important. So again, it takes us into verse 20, where he's now going to say, where is the wise man? 
Or where is the scribe, where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? Now there's so many places I can go with this and then I wouldn't finish the class. But these statements can be referring back to something in the Old Testament. And of course, it, it is in, in many regards. It's, they're sufficient for any time period. Okay, Any time period. Whoever these men were, whether it was the great minds of any generation since the beginning of time, or the great religious leaders, both of the Gentile nations and the Jews, or maybe the great philosophers, if you go back into this context in the Greek, and other thinkers of any generation, history has shown that they can't answer life's most difficult questions. Guess what? Those most difficult questions still can't be answered. And when the secular world answers them, it is beyond ridiculous, some of the things that they come up with. Some of the things that certain religions believe, it's actually said, yet this is the reality of leaning on our own understanding. Right? Has man's wisdom been able to conquer God? Think of that. Think of the likes of Pharaoh. Go back in the Old Testament and his magicians. Right? So Pharaoh being a superpower. His magicians were truly real empowered by the devil. I believe it. You know, that's so true. Someone was bringing up, my mother was bringing up she was in a conversation about, you've ever heard of the, uh, the apparitions of Mary? Oh, boy. Down in South America? I think, yeah. that, I, just, I think there was like three of them. They actually were real. They're real. They are. It's demonic. Mm-hmm. It's not of God. Okay? These things are very real that they've happened. Okay? And, again, that's just kind of a side note. Think of, uh, I couldn't help thinking of Sennacherib. I think it goes good with here. Sennacherib of the Assyrians. Sennacherib was the king of Assyria. And if you go back into the Old Testament during that time, the Assyrians were the rising power in the ancient Near East. And Sennacherib, using again human wisdom, okay, they already took over the northern kingdom, right? And were planning on doing the same with the southern kingdom. And Sennacherib's mindset was based on the success he has. He was indeed a pragmatist, right? This seems to be working. Just look at what's happening. Okay? And this is what he says in 2 Kings, verse 18. I'm sorry, 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 33 to 35. He says, Has any, of, has any one of the gods of the nations delivered his hand from the hand of the king of Assyria? He says, where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? He says, where are the gods of Sepharvaim, Hena and Eva? Have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Obviously not. He took them over, right? Then he says, who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their land from my hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand. He's relying on his own wisdom. Look what's happened. Look where I'm at. I'm a rising power. I am unstoppable. Right? Now, if you continue reading in uh, 2 Kings, you will see that King Hezekiah was the king during that time. And as maybe as scary of a situation as that was, he didn't fear, but he trusted in the Lord. He went directly to him for help. He did a good thing. And if you continue reading the story, Sinatra pleaded again using very similar language. But the result was 185,000. That's a big number, especially during that time. 185,000 Assyrians were destroyed. 
And though we know what happened in the future, eventually Babylon took over, and again, the southern, both kingdoms were taken over, but at that time period, there was a, a period, we can say, of success. It didn't last very long, because they trusted in God. They did not rely on their own wisdom. When I preached on this several, I think maybe six months ago, I think I preached, I, had, I mentioned that. I had mentioned that man's wisdom isn't necessarily always bad, or even unwise or foolish, but it only is when God is out of the picture. We need to realize that. Okay? It's when God is out of the picture. God is true wisdom. And if we leave out the source, everything is foolishness. Everything becomes foolishness. Verse 21 says, For since in the wisdom of God the world, through its wisdom, did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe Again, just think about all of mankind since their existence. Think of every religious system that has ever existed and still exists. No one comes to the saving knowledge of God through their own wisdom. And well, we can testify here, of any of you guys here that got saved, or any of us, but especially maybe some of you guys that maybe got saved later on in life, believing something that was false. Whatever that may have been. Okay? That's all man's wisdom. Okay? You know, during the time of the Reformation, where we're reformers, and, and I love that phrase, you know, you look at that, we don't need to speak in Latin, we're English, but semper reformata, right? It means always reforming. It means that we haven't arrived yet. We should always be wanting to reform and get better and tighten our belt and understand and learn the scriptures better. Right? But during that time of the Reformation, there was also the rise of what we call rationalism in philosophical thought. And it's a, it's a system of thought which can be summed up as an epistemo- uh, epistemological view. And epistemology meaning the, the theory or study of knowledge that regards reason or logic right, as the chief source and test of knowledge. Now at face value, if you look at that, that doesn't seem bad, but actually quite the contrary. It seems very good. Reason, logic, those are things that are good. It's actually very important for us too, even as the church. The problem with rationalism as a philosophy is that mankind, again, we learned last week, is fallen. They're totally depraved, which means that they are morally corrupt. They are as bad off as they can be as far as attaining spiritual good. As, as far as attaining right standing before God. So mankind is fallen. He does not seek God. He does not worship God. And that doesn't mean that we are not to be rational. We should be the most rational beings on earth as Christians. But if we take the basic definition that I gave you regarding reason as the chief source and test of knowledge, we can absolutely reject that. And say, what is the chief source and test of knowledge? Let's go back to the beginning of the confession. What do we learn? About what? The holy what? The holy scriptures. The holy scriptures. And how in the confession, that's right from the beginning. Because that is our authority. Okay? So that means that we reason, our reasoning, we reason from this. Right? From this first. We start with this. 
we can now discuss, we can think, God wants us to think and do all that kind of stuff. But this is our starting point, and this is our ending point, okay? Because logic, all that is important, and you'll see that if you're going to really be true to logic, again, you're not going to, it's not going to be inconsistent with this book, what God has said, because Jesus is the divine Logos, who is the logic of God, right? So this is so important. But Scripture is our source. Now, verse 21 reminds us that there has not been one person in all of existence that came to the saving knowledge of God through their own wisdom and intellect. But on the contrary, any saint of God since Adam has come to the saving knowledge of God through God himself, and this is never apart from his word. Back for those maybe few thousand years before the Pentateuch was actually inscripturated, right? It was passed down through word of mouth, through prophets. Adam being the first prophet, priest, and king, right? It was passed down. And then once it's inscripturated again, that is the authority, whether it was done with the prophets of the Old Testament or now in the scripture. Salvation never comes apart from the word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, again, we go to these verses all the time. There's a reason why this is such an important cluster of verses. Timothy, again, a young man who was pastor who had insecurities. And Paul goes back to encourage him, to strengthen him, right? He says, Timothy, verse 15, remember that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom, the wisdom that leads to salvation, which it did, through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now we know again, we take all of Scripture that that's true because He was chosen and drawn by the Father and the Spirit regenerated Him. But again, the means is the Word of God. Always, always, that's how it works. Not that we're putting God in a box. God can do anything, but that is the way God does. He is who He is and He sets the means by which He works His wonderful work. He says, all scripture, Timothy, is inspired or breathed out by God, the very breath of God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So this is the source. This is what we must go to and embrace. And trust in the power of the Spirit to illumine us, to understand it, so that it would have its perfect work in us. So if we are trying to disciple somebody... Or if we're trying to win someone over to the Lord, we must be reminded that it is He that draws people and teaches people. And He does not do it apart from His Word. So any of our reasoning must first come from Scripture and we must not worry about the reaction to it. Too often, again, Christians in trying to do the work of ministry are worrying about how people are going to receive the Word of God. Well, then you're not trusting God. No, this is what we say. Most are going to think it's ridiculous, and that's okay. But guess what? God has His elect out there. Whether they're saved, well, I'm speaking to saved people in here, right? I'm not going to do any convincing to you. I'm going to boldly proclaim the Word of God, and the Word of God is going to have its work. Yeah, I'm required to give the sense as a teacher. I get that. And that's under the Holy Spirit's power, okay? But it's the Scripture, That does that. So any of our reasoning must first come from the scripture. We must not worry about the reaction to it. Those with ears to hear and those with willing hearts will listen to what the scripture says. 
Now, in keeping up with the examples of looking at this worldly wisdom from, from two perspectives, he says the following in verse 22. For indeed, Jews ask for signs, and Greeks search for wisdom. Now, in this context of the, of the time in Scripture, it was just Jews and the rest of the world, mainly Greeks, because that's where they were, right? Now, this both falls under the category, again, of human wisdom. Jews ask for signs, Greeks search for wisdom. Jews ask for signs. Let's look at that. Think of what the religious leaders asked Jesus when he was with them. Show us a sign that we may believe these things. What did he just get done doing? Many, many, many signs. Right? And yet, they wanted to see signs. And listen, it's not necessarily bad for wanting, in their context, to see signs. Many Christ would come and say, and false teachers to arise. I mean, you should be... If someone says that they were Christ, let's just say before Christ, and they didn't do any of the things that He did, well, guess what? He didn't do those signs. You shouldn't believe Him. But Jesus did, in fact, do those signs, and yet they were blind to it. Right? Greeks search for wisdom. Again, He was crucified. The lowest of criminals, we learned about that last week, were crucified. So the Greeks, in searching for wisdom, again, you're telling us that the lowest of all criminals is the savior of the whole entire world? What are you guys, a bunch of idiots, you Christians? That's what they're thinking. God himself would subject himself to his creation to be abused by them? It just doesn't make sense. Because they're relying on their own thinking. Verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God, which there is none, is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. So if God is telling us of the supernatural power of the message And both the Jewish believers and Greek believers can attest to this, right? Because they were saved. They knew that they got saved, not by their own own doing. Why would we think it is not sufficient on its own? Scripture. This is what the Word of God says. Romans 1.16, what did Paul say in his beginning? After he gives his intro, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, the cross, which is both the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Why? He says, for in it, the power of God for salvation. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, everyone, to the Jew first and also for the Greek. And we must be reminded that for the most part, it will be looked at and received as the opposite of of what it really is. Right? This message is going to be looked upon by the world as the opposite of what it really is. Are we going to get discouraged? Are we going to still not be ashamed and trust in its power that it will do what it's going to do to those who have ears to hear? The question is we ask ourselves, are we ashamed of it? You know, every Christian would say, oh no, of course not. But if you start looking at their actions a lot of times, sometimes it sounds or it looks like you are. Because you're trying to do everything which seems to be good, but yet you don't want to use this. 
happens all the time. Are we ashamed of it? Are we afraid to use it as our primary means of defense? So many apologists who love the Word of God and agree with it, they oftentimes don't use it as the primary means. Again, I've said this before, they reason to the Scriptures rather than from the Scriptures. Reasoning, reasoning to means a secondary, not primary. No. This is what the Scripture says. Now let's address your point. Look how foolish it is. Now go back to the Scripture and confirming it even more. Right? Our reasoning is from the Scripture. So now Paul shifts gears a bit in order to remind the Corinthians of something very real and very personal to them. Right? He just gave them examples of mankind from the past perspective, continuing on to their present state. And now... He is bringing completely to their own context as a local church. He says, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not men, and by the way, let's not overlook that word, brethren, which is a very intimate word. Again, reminding us again, he's talking to a real church. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many nobles, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are not. And the base things of the world. And the despised God has chosen the things that are not. So that he may nullify the things that are. So that no man may boast before God. So here, he is saying, look to yourself just for a moment. Right? Most of you are not in what you would call the intellectual elite, okay, according to human standards. It says there are not many mighty, and this could mean those who have maybe a very powerful presence. Some people have this, a more powerful presence than others, right? Not many were noble, which means high-born, right? Born to a prominent family, maybe very affluent, whatever you want to use, right? And though salvation came to everyone, it came mostly to common people or the unexpected people based on human standards, right? He's saying, look to yourselves. Not only to themselves, he could have said this to any church, right? It came to ordinary people. Most people are ordinary, right? Most of us are ordinary. That's okay, okay? Many commentators would say that most of them were slaves and servants and Certainly we can believe that. We know that up to a third of the world was slaves and servants back then. We've talked about that. So that certainly makes sense, especially knowing that God often came to the lowest of low. Right? Again, when one picks a team, right? One picks a team, they usually pick from the best and most talented or, or qualified. That would be kind of wise in one sense to do that. Right? But we need to understand that nothing qualifies us for the kingdom of God in and of ourselves. Nothing. We're sinners. And God's kingdom cannot have sin. God is perfect. There is nothing that qualifies us for the kingdom of God, save Jesus and Jesus alone. Therefore, when we look at the past or present, we can see very clearly that God sits on His throne and He laughs at human wisdom and brings it to nothing. Mankind and their arrogance has proven to be a failure. Namely, at doing righteousness, 
again, just bring it home right now into the climate of our day of what they think righteousness is. There's a major disagreement of what we think righteousness is. Man has failed at doing righteousness, producing righteousness, and attaining salvation before their God. And looking at the scriptures that we just read, that God has chosen the weak and the base things. That whole discourse we just read up to verse 28, verse 29, so that no man may boast before God. There's room for only one to be magnified and glorified. And let's just go back to it again, what we learned through week two about the divisions that were happening because they were elevating men. Men should never be elevated. And any good man or woman of God, if they see themselves being elevated, say, hey, stop it right now. Because there's no room for that. Okay? There's only room for one to be elevated. Verse 30 and 31. But by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. And I love that. Just, just listen to that verse again one more time. Just listen to the language. But by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus. The Father wrote your names in His book before Adam and Eve and the rest of the world was even created. Who, that is Jesus, became to us Wisdom from God and righteousness, not of our own. He is our righteousness and we cling to that forever until it is our own one day. And sanctification. We're no longer the old self but a new self set apart for Him, for His glory. To be used for holy use and redemption. It's a done deal. We've been bought, right? The price has been paid. Verse 31, so that just as it is written again, let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Saying it again a second time in case we don't forget of who we are. So Paul's saying, listen my Corinthian brothers and sisters, never forget what has been given to you. Never forget that all we are and all we have is not because of anything natural in us, but because of what supernaturally happened to us by the work of God. Therefore, we cannot boast in anything but in the Lord. So if we just look at this, and there was some stuff that I touched on that certainly has to do with application. We just saw that everything in regards to our salvation is because of God. We learned that the message of the cross... The gospel is ridiculous to those who are perishing. I had mentioned that if we can take anything from this message in the beginning, it would be confidence, right? Confidence in who we are, in Him, in His way. So I'm going to ask you this this morning. Well, first, are you confident? Are we confident individually? And collectively as a body. Are you confident that your standing before God is good? 
In other words, are you your confidence in your salvation? Are you doubting? Do you know what your salvation is? Do you understand it? Are you confident? Romans chapter 3. Let me read verse 21 to 26. It says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified, that is declared righteous, as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God He passed over the sins previously committed. Thank God. For the demonstration, I say, of what? Our righteousness? His righteousness at the present time. So that He would be just. So that He would be just, righteous, and the one who makes righteous, the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Our confidence should be in who we believe in. That message, what we believe, unwavering in faith, Are you confident in God's ordained means to bring salvation? The salvation that was brought to us and maybe those who you may be witnessing to. Again, I read Romans 1, 16 again and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also for the Greek. So it's not you that saves or does the convincing though we should convince through the scriptures it is God who does it are you confident in God's ordained means on how we are to live verse 17 for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written but the righteous man shall live by faith that's how we are to live by faith why are you doing the things that you do my master tells me this is what he wants me to do this is what pleases him I exist to please him therefore I'm going to trust in him and what he says and cling to his word if we are going to live by faith it means trust and dependence both in the person and work of Christ in the father who calls and draws people And in the spirit who regenerates and empowers the saints. Everything is Trinitarian in nature, right? We trust in the triune God who is ours. So we trust and depend on that and in the means by which God brings salvation and sanctification. And though sanctification is part of salvation, I'm just going to use salvation as all the other stuff that precedes it. Sanctification. Proverbs 3 again, 5 and 8. I'm going to read it again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. I'm going to read 2 Timothy 
chapter 3 again, just to kind of be reminded of these verses. And again, now what you do with it is, is what you do with it. We trust and depend, I said, in the Godhead and their work and the means by which He brings salvation and sanctification. There's the Word of God that we do that and sanctification now is in the Word of God. We just read in the Word of God to trust the Lord with all our heart. We're in doubt, trust the Lord. I think of James, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to it liberally. Right? But we must ask in faith. Do not be wise in your own eyes, verse 7. Now, looking at Timothy, as the Apostle is talking to his protege, says that from childhood, Timothy, remember that you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ. Remember, go back to your salvation. Go back to what opened your eyes. And now that you're already a pastor, ministering to people, remember, your mandate, your calling, all Scripture is inspired by God. It is His breath. It is not yours. We cling to it. It is God's Word to His people. And it's profitable for teaching, your job, for reproof, your job, for correction, your job, and for training in righteousness, also your job. So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So again, be confident in what we have and who we are in Christ. Be confident in this beautiful, precious word. Again, that is foolishness to the majority of the world. I can't add anything else to that. I'll ask if there's any questions. Any questions? Comments? We're good? Very good. Let's pray. Lord, again, I thank you for the great gift of Jesus who was our Lord, who was our Savior, who, if we be honest, at times, we don't live in a way that shows that He is Lord. (laughs) And we ask that You forgive us for that, Lord, because that really is our calling. So help us to be better. And I know that that will happen, Lord God, if we pause and consider our ways and think about what has been given to us, Lord God, so that we could have confidence because you don't want us to doubt. You don't want us to be carried away by every wind of doctrine. You want want us to be confident in you, Lord. So help us to be confident in you, in your word, in everything, Lord God. So help us again to be who we are in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we go, sir.